Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church. So I want to share from Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 9, where Jesus sends 70 people out to be evangelists. And the reason I'm wanting to share it is because I believe, I really believe this is what the Lord wanted me to share for you today. I don't know how many of us are here today, nearly 70, roughly, maybe not quite, but similar size of group. And I think there's some wonderful lessons here. Do you ever feel this pressure, like I should be sharing the gospel more, but I don't know how, or I'm not doing it, or maybe I'm not doing it well enough? Am I, am I you know, supposed to be doing something different? Um, my wife is an, a wonderful lady, but she's an introvert. And a wonderful introvert, but she always feels guilty that she's not out there telling people about Jesus more. And yet I say to her, you are shining Jesus. And if we look at this passage, we're going to see that the way we do it, that Jesus told people to do it, is maybe different from what we thought. You may think you have to be a Billy Graham type person, or you have to be a, a certain type of person to share the gospel, or you have to do all these amazing different things. And I'm going to show you the way that Jesus told us to do it. First of all, it includes all of us, not just the anointed special ones. But secondly, it's very real and very every day, the way that we're supposed to share our faith and we can do it. And he has given us a calling and the power to be able to share our faith. So that's my plan is to make it very practical today. So Luke chapter 10. Verse 1, after these things, the Lord, appoint, the Lord appointed 70 others also. So I'm reading in the New King James. If you're reading in a different version, it may say 72 others. Um, let me just get this one out of the way. There are some old manuscripts where the original Bible was written on manuscripts where it says 72. There are some where it says 70. But in all Bibles, there's a little footnote where it says other manuscripts say 70 or 72 which is the right one? I don't know. Um, you know what's so interesting? Is the other time 70 were chosen was in Numbers 11 when Moses was overwhelmed with work and his father-in-law said, choose 70 people and God will put his spirit upon them and they will help you lead the nation of Israel. Do you remember that story? But did you know there were two guys in the 70 who didn't pitch up on the day? And they, they were chosen as part of the 70. Their names are Eldad and Medad. They were dads, obviously. <laughs> and they didn't pitch. And yet they still got the blessing. And I just wonder if they didn't choose 72, but two didn't pitch. I don't know. <laughs> and the reason I think it was 72, you see, this, this is where I, I, sometimes I go to places to speak. And I know I'm supposed to be this really big, impressive speaker and I'm going to keep everyone's attention, but I'm a teacher, which means I like to get into the nitty gritties. So please stay with me. You can zone out for two minutes. That's fine. I'll get back to the good stuff. But you know, just before this, in the previous chapter, Jesus sends out the 12 two by two. So there were six groups of, of two that he sent out. They come back and then he sends out 72 which is six times 12. I think each of those little groups of two, the six groups of two, he said to them, now you pick another 12. And then it's 72, but two didn't go. That's my personal opinion. I could be wrong. 
but 70 were sent out. Okay, a little more, another little digression here. You know, Jesus had thousands following him. There are places where it talks about people coming from five different nations around Israel to hear him preach and to be healed. And it talks about him being on a huge, big level field. And there was so many people and the power of the Lord went out and healed them all. Amazing verses. Thousands, multiplied thousands. He fed the 5,000 men, but there were probably another ten or 15,000 children and women as well. So he had all these thousands, but at the end, the day after he's died and risen again and he's about to start the church by pouring the spirit on Pentecost there's only 120 because sometimes many are called but few are chosen many say yes Lord yes Lord but when it gets tough there's not always that many who follow all the way through but let's just say there were 120 serious believers he chose 70 of them that's the majority of his close followers. And why is that important? Because we think as human beings, it's got to be the qualified person, the one who's impressive, the one who's got a degree or a dog collar or a something. It's got to be someone else who does the evangelizing. And Jesus was saying, it's all of you. In fact, right at the end of this passage, he prays and he says, Lord, I thank you that you have hidden this from the important people and you've used the little babies in Christ to do this amazing work. Because God wants to use all of us. And that means you and me. Isn't that amazing? He chose 70. We don't know their names. And I think that's on purpose because he's saying it's the average one who are the evangelists. Okay, let's move on. He chose 70. He sent them out two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Friends, did you know that Jesus wants to go into that preschool where your child goes? Jesus wants to go into that sports club where you go now and again, or that gym, or your office, or your restaurant, or your friends social circle or that group of guys you play golf with Jesus wants to go into every place but he sends us into the place he wants to go it says he sent he told them I want to go to this place this place this place now you go in front of me that's what Jesus wants to do he wants to get into every area of our lives Sunday mornings are great they're wonderful and they're important but they are not church they are one and a half hours out of 160 hours in a week. And it's all those other hours where we are the church, where Jesus is saying, where are you? That's where I want to be. And we need to start thinking church and Jesus' presence is not just Sunday mornings. It's wherever I am, whatever I'm doing. He says, I'm sending you there. And I'm with you coming. And I want you to open the door to these people. Because most people nowadays won't go to church. You know, there's so many old church buildings around us, which shows that in decades past, nearly everyone used to go to church on Sunday mornings. But it's very few now who will come to church. And if we're going to reach the world for Christ, it's not going to be because our Sundays are amazing. It's not. I mean, Sundays are important, but it's a filling station for us to go out and then be the church. And when you walk into your office, you're carrying the presence of Christ with you. And that's what people need. And we need to realize it's not Rob or 
Jill or Mark or somebody else who's going to do this work. It's all of us. And there are places you are going to go that no one else is going to go for Christ. And there are people you're going to meet that are not going to hear about Jesus other than through your presence. I'm not putting a guilt trip on you. I'm just making it real. That is the reality. And there's a world out there that needs Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jesus said, I'm sending you out in front of my face. That word face, the word face and the word presence in the Bible are the same word. Isn't that interesting? Whenever you see the presence of the Lord, it means the face. Out of the presence of the Lord, so Sunday morning in front of his face, and then we go to the office, to the wherever. And also, he sent them out two by two. You know, you need a person who you can tell what you're trying to do for the Lord so that they can agree with you in prayer. Matthew 18 says, where two or three agree concerning anything, it will be done by my Father in heaven. Each of us, I know we're not good at this yet in our church, but each of us needs to have somebody we can say, this is what's happening at work, or this is what I'm believing for in my circle of mums that I get together with, or whatever it is, so that they can agree with you in prayer. Not a, it doesn't have to be a massive thing, just, yes, I'm agreeing that God's going to help save that person or that person or that person. Find somebody, two by two. They don't have to go with you to work. They just need to agree with you. Is that okay? Are we tracking so far? All right. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So not only does he send them, he tells them to pray for more laborers. So we need to always be thinking... I've got to try and pray for and raise up more. And that means it's not going to be the clergy because there's not enough of us. It's got to be all of us who, who reach the lost. And the, the harvest is plentiful. There are millions of people all around us who need Jesus. And they're not going to find him unless he shines through us. Verse 3. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. So it is going to be hard. Not everyone is going to accept what you have to say. You're going to get criticized, mocked, maybe treated badly. He says, verse 4, Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. He's saying, greet no one along the road means don't be distracted from what you're going to do. You, you know, if the devil can't get you by being a wolf against you as a lamb, he'll get you by distracting you to other little glisteny trinket things that are going to take your attention away. We've got to say, now I'm going. And he says, don't worry about food and money and all these different things. He says, don't wait until you're ready. Don't wait until you think, oh, I know enough now. I'm ready. Or don't worry about having enough money or enough whatever you need. Just go. Just be ready. In another place, Jesus said, you say there's four months till the harvest. I say, no, it's now. We've got to say, Lord, I'm ready now, even if I've only just got saved yesterday. Is that okay? Right. Let's move on. Now, this is the bit I love. Verse 5. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. Notice he says house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to to house, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. He says, don't try and hit everybody. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do street evangelism or 
big tent evangelism. I think it's both and. It's not either or. But the majority of us, the 70, you know, there are some people who are called to be big-time evangelists, and they've got a calling to that, and they're very good at that. But the majority of us, it'll be eating meals in houses where we evangelize. Isn't that interesting? And he says, it's about peace. When you enter the house, say, peace be upon this house. And if there is a person, a son of peace, or a friendly person who has peace towards you, they will receive you, they will give you food, you'll eat and you'll drink, and you won't need to worry going about lots and lots of people. You're building a relationship through peace with a person of peace. When we meet someone, we should bring the peace of God. We shouldn't bring an angry, harsh, or proud, or judgmental attitude. And unfortunately, that's what many Christians bring. They come across as better, holier than thou. They're judgmental. They think they're better. They tut-tut, oh, no, 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 you bad person. They stay away from those who don't believe in Jesus. And they don't bring peace they bring judgmentalism. And Jesus said, you bring peace, which means happiness, joy, a smiling face, acceptance, and love. Now, that doesn't mean we agree with everything others do or say or believe, but we come with a, a gracious attitude, a humble attitude, an attitude of peace. And it's a gospel of peace. It's not a gospel of damnation. It's a gospel of you can have peace with God. You can be reconciled to God. You can have your sins forgiven. God wants peace with you, and he's made a way through Jesus. Look, I've got this peace. I'm a person of peace. Look at this joy that I have. I want to give you this peace with God. That's what we're bringing, peace. Several times in the Bible, it talks about the gospel of peace. How lovely are the mountains, are the feet of him who preaches the gospel of peace. In Ephesians 6, have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's a gospel of peace, love, joy. It's not a harsh, argumentative gospel. And we're looking for people of peace who want to give us friendship back. You know, sometimes we think I must find the person who's going to argue with me the most. And I must argue with them the most and prove them wrong and crush them with my logic. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not. He says, don't look for the argumentative ones. Look for the ones who are friendly already. And don't try and crush them with logic. Bring God's peace, God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's love. Isn't that interesting? So what he's saying, in essence, if I can just put it in a nutshell, is build loving relationships with non-believers. Isn't that interesting? Eat with them. Spend time with them. You know, in our church, we're cutting back on church meetings so that people can have more time to have time with non-believers. Because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be bringing peace to those around us. It's the peace with God, but then it's also the peace of God. You know, Robin Jill's son, Jordan, shared with me how he evangelizes people. And he told me many stories about uh, a driving instructor. Do you remember that story, how he evangelized? Mm. He had 24 lessons, I think it was, with this driving instructor, and he just made friends with this guy. And he told me so many stories, people he meets in airports and all these different people. But one thing he said is, often he will say to a person, can I pray for you for peace? 
And he says he hardly ever gets anyone who says no. And he just quietly, gently prays, Lord, please give them your peace. And he says, almost always, the person says, wow, what was that? Because the peace of God floods into them. Wouldn't that be an interesting way of evangelizing? Not, I need to beat you in an argument, but I just want to pray for you for the peace of God. So it's peace with God and it's the peace of God and we come with an attitude of peace. That is a, a game changer. It really is. I don't have to have all the verses all correct. I don't have to have all the arguments against evolution and this and that and that all lined up. No, no. I bring peace and I'm looking for people who are friendly to me. Okay, let's move on. Verse 9. And he said, and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. This is the last part of the puzzle. And it doesn't always come easily or quickly, but there are opportunities when you've built a friendship with someone where they will ask for prayer or for advice or for answers. And you can say the kingdom of God has come and you can pray for miracles in their lives. I will explain a bit about the kingdom and, and that praying in a minute, but I just want to say, first of all, that yes, you can pray for healing for people. I know I've seen it even this morning, and I know from River Church that you are, we are all encouraged to be ministers. But the message of this is all 70 could pray for healing. Jesus delegated the healing authority to them. You know, when I was a, a brand new Christian, my mum was an alcoholic and she, she was out of control. And um, the next door neighbor was also an alcoholic and she would drink with him. And he had a dog and their, do our, their dog and our dog would fight. And so one day I got home and our house was mayhem. And she was trying to feed the dogs and both of the dogs, the next door neighbor dog and our dog, were fighting over the food. And she tried to pick up the dish. And the next door neighbor in his drunken thing tried to kick the dogs. Anyway, he kicked her finger. And he broke the tendon in her finger. And her finger would no longer bend. And she needed it. She, she worked in radio and she had to twiddle knobs all the day. And I was a brand new Christian. I didn't even know that you're not supposed to pray for healing according to some religious people. So I just prayed. We just quickly put up my hand. I said, Lord, heal her finger. She'd already been to the doctor twice. He said, it's too fine a tendon. I can't reattach it. I'm sorry. You're going to have to live with this. Her finger was instantly healed. And I've seen so many of those occurrences where God just uses simple faith, simple people. We don't have to be perfect to pray for healing for others because it's not us who's doing the healing. We just letting God do the healing through us. He says, I'm going to use imperfect people. You know why? Because there's no one who's perfect. Even the best person you think is the best Christian leader in the world, they're not perfect. They have sin and mess ups just like you do. And God uses them and he will use you. We just have to be bold enough to pray for it. Please, can I pray for you, for your sister, for your daughter, whatever it is. And sometimes God will drop little words of knowledge into your head. And you think, was that me who thought that? Or was that the Lord saying that they're having a problem in this area of their life? So then rather than saying, thus saith the Lord, thou hast a problem. We say, hey, you know, I've, I've had problems before. Have you, have you got any problems with whatever it is, your 
your child or your aunt or your uncle, because you think God's dropped it into your heart, and if it is of God, they'll respond and say, yes, yes. And you don't have to act all weird about it, you just follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, you might be sitting there and saying, oh, I'm not one of those Christians. I'm not one of those Christians who says, oh, Lord, what about this? And he says, oh, what about this? And then you say, what about this? And, uh, you know how some Christians talk like they're just having a normal conversation with God all the time, and you say, that's not me. I've never heard God say anything. Friends, God wants to use all of us, the 70, the unnamed ones. Even a few months later, the 120 in the upper room, they're unnamed, and yet the Holy Spirit was poured out on all of them, all of them. Not just Peter and John and James. And then the people in the street heard the noise. They came and they said, what's this? And Peter says, this is the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. In the last day, God says, I'll pour out, pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters, your men servants and your maidservants. Everyone can be used by the Lord now. There's no special class who do the healings or do the evangelism. It's us. And that's what we've got to get. So what is the takeaway from this? I'll get, I'll get back to the, the kingdom of God in a minute. But the takeaway is that I've got to say, Lord, I'm one of the 70. I'm not the two who, who got anointed and appointed but didn't pitch up on the day. I'm, I'm one of the 70 who's going to go and I'm going to risk it. And I'm going to try and I'm going to share with people and bring peace and tell them about the gospel and pray for them. Share my testimony whenever they ask for it. Pray for miracles in their lives, and I'm going to see what the Lord does. So the last thing he said, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God uh, is at hand and heal the sick. I'm just going to quickly mention, Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom, which is simply this. You're not the king of your life. The devil shouldn't be the king of your life. God should be the king of your life. Someone's the king of your life. Which one of those three is it? That's it. And then they say, well, what do you mean the king of my life? You say, well, are you following the way of the world? Or are you following what you want in life? Or are you saying, Jesus, you're my king? And they say, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then you say, you can have peace with God in this kingdom. And then you say, and look what he can do. He can overcome the work of the enemy king in healing you, in fixing relationships. Now you say, gee, that's risky. Imagine I said to someone, I'm going to pray for your relationship to be healed or, or for finances to come through or for your dog to be healed or your car to be fixed. I, mean, I can't be that risky. Friends, that's what we have to do if we're going to spread the gospel. We have to try. And I'll give you a little inside information. You may fail and fall at times, but that's okay. No one in the Bible succeeded all the time. Paul says to the Galatians, I preached the gospel to you because I was sick. Did you know that? He says, I first came to you and I preached the gospel because I was sick. Now, Paul's the guy who has all these healings happening. Sometimes he had struggles. He writes to Timothy, take some wine because of your frequent stomach illnesses. He writes to the Colossians, I left Trophimus sick in Miletus. There were times when everyone in the Bible failed, but that didn't stop them. They kept praying for the sick. They kept believing for miracles. They kept going. They never stopped. They never gave up because they said, it's not, it's not for me to know all the reasons why it sometimes works and sometimes doesn't, but when it does work, wow, doors open, and I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep on going. 
So you might say to me, well, am I one of the 70 really, Greg? Maybe there's, I don't know, a few of us in this room, maybe only some of us are the ones who are being sent. The first thing is, are you a believer? If you are a believer, Jesus includes you in his body. And then in the Great Commission, he sent to not just his disciples, because there were probably several people there when he gave the Great Commission. He said, go and do all these things and make disciples and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So what he's saying is whatever he told those first believers, he wants that to be replicated and replicated and replicated, which means if you're a believer, you're one of the sent ones. Again and again, he says, you are my, my sent ones. John 20, 21. He comes to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. He breathes on them, the Holy Spirit. And then he says, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. And again, that wasn't just the 12. There were several others in that room, at, in the upper room on the day that he rose again. Jesus sends us. And the only thing that matters is whether we will step up to the plate and say, yes, Lord, I'm willing I'm willing to be one of the sent ones. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please consider supporting this ministry by making a donation on the giving page at leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.